Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. This morning, I want to talk about what I believe to be the most terrifying words Jesus ever spoke. I'm not exaggerating that. Um, We're in this Hard Sayings of Jesus series, and um, we're going to look at some words today where Jesus basically says that there's a whole bunch of people that think they're going to make the cut, but they will be shocked when they find out that Jesus denies them entrance into the kingdom. They're going to be shocked when they, get, they find out they're cut and they didn't make the team. Any of you guys watch the Packers game on Friday, uh, this preseason game? I both celebrate and lament this. Celebrate because I love football. Lament it because I hate winter. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but it lasts like an obnoxiously long amount of time here. But we were watching the game. Actually, we were watching it at Rob, Rob and Alex's house. And uh, it fascinates me, the preseason games. Why? Because it's not about winning. This is actually the only four games of the season where winning the game isn't the point. This is interesting. The point of the preseason games is figuring out who makes the cut, right? There's only 53 spots on the roster. So if you're guy number 54, sorry, Charlie, you get the ax. You know, and it's harsh. They're strict. And it's entirely performance-based. It's just, that's it. If you perform, you make the cut. If you don't perform well, you're out of here. You make a stupid mistake, and you could uh, blow your one shot. The stakes are high. And every single play, the stakes are high. Remember, uh, if anyone watched it, if you're still watching in the fourth quarter, about two minutes left, uh, Packers defender does the blatant horse collar tackle like about three feet in front of the ref. And it was a no-brainer. Guy throws the flag. And we're all thinking the same thing. Well, that guy's watching this season from his couch. (laughs) You know, uh, who makes the cut? And these coaches, man, they're cutthroat, right? The managers, the coaches. They want to win so bad, it's like they'd cut their own son if they were on the team. Like, they'll cut a, like a 10-year v- veteran that's been faithful because uh, he's like a half second slower than he was last year. And sometimes watching this, I think, man, this is harsh. These guys are strict. The bar is high. And that's the sort of reaction that we should have when we read the following passage. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Why do I say that's the sort of reaction that we should have? Because this passage shows a side of Jesus that we don't talk about that often. People people don't talk about this side of Jesus very much because it's a bit hard to stomach. Because in this passage, we realize that Jesus is much stricter than we realize. The bar is a lot higher than we might be comfortable with. In a certain sense, to make his cut is a lot harder than you could imagine. Now, it's not performance-based, though. It doesn't matter how well you perform. But this should get our attention. Our ears should perk up when we read this passage. And it's hard to hear this passage. But it's important that we read it. It's important that we understand it. It's important that we know how to respond to it because we don't want some sugar-coated version of Jesus whose words are made softer and easier to swallow. We don't want 
some other version of Jesus uh, who has a bar lower than he actually sets it and who uh, is less strict than he actually is. We want the real Jesus. I, I assume if you're here, you want the real Jesus. No matter how hard that pill is to swallow, we want truth. Why? Because heaven and hell are on the line here. The stakes are eternity. Faithfulness to God is on the line. Where you spend eternity matters. And so I'm going to read these terrifying words that Jesus spoke so long ago. And I want all of us to to pray afterwards that God would soften our hearts and help us to receive these words, no matter how hard they are, that God would help us to receive it. And then I want to examine each verse. And my simple goal is that you take these words seriously and respond accordingly. So here they are. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. Would you pray with me now? So Lord Jesus, um, we've read your words that you spoke so long ago but they have not become dull. They are every bit as sharp, I believe, today as the day they came out of your mouth. Would you help us now, Lord? We don't want to be uh, in the group of people who say, Lord, Lord, and you say, I, I, didn't, I didn't even know you. We don't want to be in that group. God, when that day comes, we want to hear you say, enter into the joy of your master. So help us now to receive these words. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage, it's important to note, is part of the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? It's in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's the best sermon that has ever been preached. And Jesus uh, wraps it up with this, uh, with this statement. Now, he's preaching to a, a, a large crowd. And they're mostly Jewish. But there's all sorts of people in this crowd. You've, you've got to understand, there's, there's men, there's women, there's children. There would have been um, young and old and rich and poor. The haves and the have-nots would have been there. There were various occupations. There were blue-collar, white-collar, everything in between. Various education levels. And certainly, the members of the religious elite of the day would have been mixed in to that crowd. And so it's that crowd that Jesus says the, to that crowd that Jesus says these words. And the first thing that jumps out uh, to us from this passage, the first thing we learn from this passage, is this eerie truth that not everyone who claims to know Jesus will get into heaven. 
Do you hear that? Not everyone who claims to know Jesus will get into heaven. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's important to note, but very easy to miss, that addressing someone twice in a row like that in both the Old and the New Testament is incredibly rare. It only happens about a dozen or so times from what I could count. And it always implies, hear this, a legitimate personal knowledge of the person being addressed. Does that make sense? The person who is saying the words knows the person they're saying them to. Uh, to kind of illustrate this, do you, do you remember on Mount Moriah in the book of Genesis when Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac and just at the very last minute, the Lord speaks to Abraham and He says, Abraham, Abraham, don't slay the young man for now I know that you fear me. Or do you remember when God is eager to deliver his people from the oppressive bondage of, of uh, slavery in Egypt, and he's going to raise up a leader to do it, and he, he calls Moses, and from the bush, he says, Moses, Moses, tell him I am have, has sent you. You remember when God calls Samuel, he was just a young boy, but he would grow up to be an incredible man of God, a wonderful prophet, and an excellent judge of God's people. And he's this young boy who lives at the temple, and he is in bed, and he hears the Lord say, Samuel. And he wakes up, and he thinks it's Eli, the old priest. And so he runs into Eli's room, and he says, I'm here. You called me? And the old man says, I didn't say anything. Go back to bed. <laughs> so I like to imagine Eli because he was an old crotchety man. So he goes back to bed and the, and the Lord again says, Samuel. And he, Samuel wakes up again, runs into Eli's room and says, I'm here. He says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And then a third time, Samuel, he wakes up, runs into his room. And now Eli's scratching his head and it says, and Eli perceived that it was the Lord. And he says, you know, I think God's trying to get a hold of you. Next time, why don't you just say, here I am, Lord. And so Samuel then lays back down, and this time when the Lord calls him, he says, Samuel, Samuel. Do you remember when Jesus was at the house of Mary and Martha? And Mary is sitting at the feet of the rabbi, learning from him. And Martha is just working her tail off in the kitchen, serving, serving, serving. And she gets annoyed at Mary and she says, Aren't you, get, why don't you tell her to get to work? Pick up, pick up a washcloth or something. And Jesus rebukes her. Do you remember that? But so tenderly. And what does he say? He says, Martha, Martha, don't you know that she has chosen the good portion? Or again, when Jesus is essentially going to prepare Simon Peter for his biggest failure. Simon is going to uh, betray Jesus and deny him. And uh, something that Peter thinks I would never do. Peter's like, I'd, I'd go to prison with you. I'd, I'd even die for you. And, and Jesus knows that Peter's about to deny him. 
And he pulls Peter away, and what does he say? Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded of you that he might sift you like wheat. And Jesus says, but I, but I prayed for you. You're, You're going to get through this. Do you remember the words of Jesus on the cross? What did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or then Jesus rises from the dead, ascends back into heaven, and in Acts we read about this man named Saul who was absolutely wicked, bent on destroying the church, and he was traveling from city to city, pulling Christians out of their home, putting them in prison, putting them to death, and separating families, and he was acquiring the legal papers to justify his evil actions. And on the road to Damascus, the risen Lord appears to him, and the glory of Jesus just knocks Saul right off his horse. And you remember what Jesus said to Saul? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, in every example, there is a legitimate personal knowledge of the person being addressed. And Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you see why this sentence is terrifying? There will be people who think they know Jesus. There will be people who think they're in. And it's going to shock them when Jesus denies them entrance into his kingdom. Jesus says, not everyone who claims to know me is in. So the question is, who does make it? Who does make the cut? If there are a lot of people who claim they know Jesus and they don't make the cut, who does? Jesus says, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's who gets in. So what's the will of the Father? We better figure that out, right? Can you think of a more important question to get answered? If if doing the will of the Father is the only entrance into the kingdom, we better figure it out. So what is the will of the Father? I want you to hold on to that question. And I want to end with that. But just for now, know that not everyone who claims to know Jesus is going to get into heaven. Second thing we see from this verse is that not, is, is not everyone who claims to know Jesus will get into heaven. And that is true even if they have an impressive religious resume. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? On that day. What day? It's judgment day. It's the everything's all said and done. And Jesus will sit upon the great white throne and judge all of humanity. And he'll separate the saved from the unsaved, the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff, as it were. 
And the image is that on that day, there's people there going, Jesus, I know you, Jesus, are you going to let me? And he's not letting them in. And so they appeal to their, to their religious resume. They appeal to their spiritual performance. They say, didn't we prophesy in your name? What is prophesy? It means to preach the word of God as if it came directly from God and traveled through the people like the prophets of the Old Testament or the apostles of the New Testament. I can't think of much higher ministry than to do preaching ministry that God just uploads it from himself to the people through you. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Man, does it get any more Team Jesus than that? Than literally kicking Satan's little uh, soldiers out of people's lives? We did many mighty works in your name. It's like there, there were miracles. We saw miracles happening through our ministry, Jesus. Like you healed people even through our ministry. And we did it in your name. It was, it was, all, it was, it was for you. Like we were, fr- we were flying your flag. We had a cross on our building. Like your name was in all of our songs. I mean, we were telling people, you know, we're on team Jesus. It's terrifying to think, and I want you to hear this, that religious activity with such powerful results can be performed in such a self-deceiving way. Think about that. It's terrifying to think that religious activity with such powerful results can be performed in such a self-deceiving way. They thought they were in. They thought they were good because of their stats, because of the ministry success that they had. But as we read in verse 23, even the highest of spiritual impact in ministry does not earn them the right to enter the kingdom of heaven. Number three, we see that only an actual relationship or I would say a good relationship or a right relationship with Jesus matters. An actual relationship with Jesus is the only thing that matters. Look at verse 23. Jesus says, and then I will declare to them. And think about that. Then will I. Note that Jesus, according to Jesus at least, has the position and the authority to sit in judgment over humanity. This is Jesus saying this about himself. It is, according to Jesus, it is his prerogative to decide who's in and who isn't in, who, who, who makes the cut and who doesn't. And he says, I will declare to them, here's the most terrifying words we could hear, I never knew you. These are the most terrifying words human ears could ever hear from the mouth of Jesus. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That last part, he's quoting Psalm 6, 8. Depart from me. Be separated from me for eternity. Even all that good stuff you did was lawlessness because I didn't know you. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us today? Well, 
I would say that if, if a whole bunch of people, if Jesus says this, there's going to be a whole bunch of people who say to him, who say, Lord, hey, Lord, it's me. And, and, and Jesus says, who are you again? No, no, Jesus, it's us. No, it's me. Don't you remember? I did all that church stuff for you. And Jesus is going to say to him, I never knew you. If that is the case, we better figure out how to not be those people. We better get this one right. I can't imagine a higher priority on any of our agendas than figuring this one out. Jesus says, you want to know who gets in the kingdom? Those who do the will of my Father. So then I ask, what on earth is the will of the Father? What what does God the Father want from us? What is his will for us. And now the Bible says a lot about the will of God, but there is one specific passage that I believe says it most clearly. It comes from the Gospel of John. And this is a different author, but the same Jesus talking about himself, okay? So let's go to John chapter 6. Jesus says, All that the Father, that's everyone that the Father gives me, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's the group we want to be in, the never getting cast out group, not the Lord, Lord, and I never knew you group. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's the Father. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And then now here it is. It doesn't get any clearer than this anywhere, I think, in the Bible as to what is the will of God the Father. For this is the will of my Father. Pause and think. This answers our question. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. That's a much better result on that last day, on the day, on judgment day. And that's the group we want to be in. So according to Jesus, the only entrance in the kingdom comes by doing the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that we believe in Jesus. And now it's important to mention that we use the word believe a lot differently in English these days than they did uh, back when the New Testament was written. Uh, To believe in the New Testament is, is a lot more than just knowing something's true. It means aligning your life into conformity with that truth. It's not just knowing truth, it's living truth. Like think about, uh, I imagine the average smoker these days, by now, has heard the news that smoking causes cancer. Uh, And uh, they might even believe that smoking uh, causes cancer. But unless they become diligently committed to quitting smoking cigarettes, It shows that there's something missing in their belief, doesn't it? 
And part of that is just we prefer the comfort of today more than the danger of tomorrow. Uh, we, we, we choose today more than we choose tomorrow. However, that shows, even if they believe that smoking, smoking causes cancer, it's like they don't really believe it. Does that make sense? Like maybe, it, maybe they don't really believe. They might even think it's going to give them cancer, but they might not really believe. So it's almost like we have to ask, add the word really to believe, uh, to understand the New Testament sense of it. Does that make sense? It's almost like we have to talk about unless you really believe in Jesus. And now what on earth does that mean? Here's what I can piece together from reading the Gospels over and over and over again and, and the letters and so on. I, the believe in Jesus means you love him, you trust him, you surrender to him. You package those three things up, and I believe that's a New Testament understanding of what it means to believe in Jesus. You love him, you trust him. Think about this. Satan believes in Jesus. He doesn't love Jesus, though, does he? Even the demons, they believe that Jesus is Lord, but what do they not do? I mean, they, they understand that. But what they don't do is bring their life into alignment with that reality. They don't trust him. They don't surrender to him. They don't give him control of their life. They don't praise Jesus. They don't gather on Sunday mornings and sing songs about how wonderful Jesus is. No, that's the stuff of saints. Love Jesus, trust Jesus, surrender to Jesus. That's how you believe in him. Now, so my question then is for us. And if this is what it takes to make the cut, where are you at? I don't mean where were you at when you were in fifth grade or where you were at last week. I'm talking about right, I mean, August 21st at, at 2022 at 1059 a.m. in Hortonville, Wisconsin. Where are you at right now? Do you love Jesus? Like, do you actually trust Jesus? Are you giving him control of your life? Or is there something you're holding back? Church, resolve now to believe in Jesus. And we'll switch out that I never knew you for a much sweeter welcome from Jesus. That day is going to be so sweet. It's going to be so much better. Can you imagine that instead of, I, who are you again? He says, uh, Becky, hey, he says, Caleb, I've been waiting for you. Welcome, you who are blessed of my Father. Enter into the kingdom inherited for you since the foundations of the earth. That's a lot better message to hear from Jesus. Let's live for that message on that day. So my challenge to you, church, would you read the Sermon on the Mount this week? It's Matthew 5 through 7. You read it through again if you've already read it. Maybe you discover it for the first time. Get familiar with the kingdom. Get familiar with the king. And then when you come to the end of it and you read these words, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father. Will you pray? Would you help me do the will of your Father? Jesus, would you help me believe in you? Would you help me fall more in love with you? Would you help me trust you more? And would you help me surrender to you? And I tell you, we do that. We, all together, we'll be a little bit more like the enter into the joy of the master 
group and a little less like the who are you again group. Would you stand now, church? Having looked at a passage that has successfully terrified every single one of us, I will now read something very reassuring. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever.